today we got uh, just a special treat for us, um, for our uh, topic and theme and uh, coming out of the scriptures today. We have Barry Watley who's joining us. How many people know Barry? Some people, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, okay, we're hearing some clapping, good, good. All right. So uh, Barry and his wife, uh, Lori, have been uh, part of Westside for a little, a little while now. Yeah. And, uh, but you don't see him as often because he travels quite a bit because of the ministry he's involved in. And he also teaches uh, here in the city at a tech, which is a biblical seminary, uh, a French biblical seminary. And um, he's going to tell us a little bit about what he does briefly, but then um, just speak to us today out of the scriptures. We're excited to have Barry with us. For some of you who are wondering, is Barry connected to anybody blood-wise here in our community? Yes, Nathan Watley. So Barry is Nathan's dad. Uh, so that, that maybe helps make a connection for you. But you have six boys. That's right. Six boys. Crazy. You didn't know that, eh? You only see Nathan walking around, but he has six, six boys walking around the world um, somewhere. So, hey, let's, let's pray for this. And um, as I pray uh, for the message, I want to just, um, I'm going to pray for one uh, community organization in, in our city and one uh, other church in our city too. Sound good? We'll just invite the Lord and, and uh, ask him to, yeah, just to bless uh, some people beyond us. Lord, um, I just think about West Island Mission today and the organization we get to partner with, uh, that just amazing food bank uh, that blesses people, encourages people, come al- comes alongside people in, in such practical ways, God. And so we pray uh, for Wendy, the director. We pray for the, for the board of directors as well that help shape that organization. We pray for the, just an amazing amount of volunteers that come alongside them. Uh, we pray for the resources that they need. Um, just a small portion we get to give out of our annual budget. We're grateful for that, Lord. And uh, we pray for the, uh, just the, the resources that come in, that you would bless them. And we pray for the participants that they meet and that they get to engage in um, weekly and monthly to bless them with food and other resources. God, uh, I just also lift up another church in our area. Just thinking of Lake, Lakeside Heights Baptist Church. Um, in Point Claire. God, thank you for their presence. Thank you for their commitment to the city and to the neighborhood. We pray for Josh, the pastor there. We pray for the work that you're doing through them. And uh, God, help us to be united with them and other churches uh, as we recognize that we are not alone, uh, that we're part of your kingdom and your church is great and big throughout our city and our world. And now I pray for Barry as he speaks. Bless him, use him, uh, just anoint him as he opens the scriptures with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's great to be here. How's the mic? Good? Great. How many were here? I actually preached here maybe six years ago. Um, how many people were here last time I preached? Okay, a few people. At least you, maybe you can't remember, and that's okay too. Um, well, it's great to be here, and, and uh, I'm not here that often because I'm actually helping out a church in Eastern Townships every other Sunday and often have commitments, but uh, Lori and I are glad to be part of this community even though we're a little bit on the periphery. So let me tell you a little bit about, before I get into my message, um, this is uh, people you know. Uh, we had a great uh, holiday this summer with uh, Nathan and Steph and the kids, and uh, um, I feel that uh, my claim to fame is my, is my grandkids. It used to be the fact that I have two sets of twins, but that's been eclipsed by the fact that I have, now have uh, four, almost five grandkids. And uh, next slide, our newest grandchild is Erilyn, and I love this picture because you can actually see my reflection in her eyes. So that's like, what does that do for a grandfather's heart, eh? It's pretty good. So that's, that's wonderful. Uh, more pictures later if you want. 
Um, here's our family, almost all our family. Actually, one of the sons is taking the picture. One of them is not in the picture, but it's really hard to get everyone together. We almost we missed it by one day this summer, but uh, had almost all of our sons together. So, uh, growing family, fifth grandchild, Yudin, my son Luke is in China, married a beautiful Chinese girl. She's expecting in January, so that's grandchild number five on the way. So that's a little bit about me and my family. Um, the ministry I'm with is called Outreach Canada. Uh, go to the next slide. And Outreach Canada is an organization that isn't that well known, but we're really kind of behind the scenes. And our goal is to really help churches, provide resources for churches, training. Uh, we're, we call ourselves a church health organization. So one of the things that I do is I, I, I work with a church that's going through transition right now in the eastern townships. And uh, we'll do some teaching. I do some teaching at the Bible College here in the city. So my role, mentoring, teaching, strengthening churches and Christian organizations in the French-speaking world. So I also have a ministry that takes me to Africa once a year, uh, where I do some training in international development. So that's a little bit about me, juggle a lot of things, but really love serving the church. And glad to be here with you this morning. So let's uh, go into our, our, our time in the Word today. Um, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is really the heart of Jesus' teaching. Some people call it the the, the Himalayas of Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of God. And uh, here's what Jesus says to us about our, who we are and what we're about in this world. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are, a light of, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So who are we? We're children of our Heavenly Father, and we're called to have His life so radiate in us and through us that people around us see who we are and who he is. That your light so shine before others that they see your good deeds, so it's not just words, but it's also our deeds, in such a way that they're, they're brought to see who our Heavenly Father is. And they too are brought in, they become among those who glorify him in our world. So your challenge, our challenge, each of us, and as our, our churches, is how can we so glorify our Father that those around us are drawn to also glorify him? So, the summit of this uh, challenge, I think, is found in Jesus' uh, teaching and the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said that it was, you've heard that it was said, love your enemy, love your neighbor, and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So in all of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, this is like the, the Everest of all the Himalayas. Loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you. And the bottom line is, none of us has the capacity to do that. We haven't been given in our humanity the ability, the capacity to love those who persecute us. And Jesus is telling us that there's no way in the world that you can do this on your own strength. That's the subtext of this entire teaching that Jesus gives us. We need other resources if we're going to love our enemies, if we're going to pray for those who are against us. And we recognize that we need spiritual resources that are beyond us if we're going to do this, if we're going to reach this goal. 
And the, the resources Jesus points to, we discover them in chapter 6. Right at the very heart of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us his teaching on prayer. And through prayer, we see that we can receive the resources that we need to uh, uh, pursue the task that he's given us, to shine our light in this world, in this dark world. So you can follow along uh, either on the screen or in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, and Jesus' teaching on prayer. And that's our focus this morning. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. So let's all stand, and let's say the Lord's Prayer. I've given it to you in the old King James, because that's how I memorized it, and perhaps many of you have. So let's say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. So is there anybody that hasn't, in their lives, recited this prayer? It's very well known. Um, I know perhaps uh, in, our, in our society, which is further and further removed from our Christian foundation, perhaps it's less and less known. But the Lord's Prayer is perhaps the most recited prayer in the world, of any, of any prayer. And I want us to, to visit it, to look at it this morning. That's kind of the focus of where we want to go. But before Jesus uh, gives us this model prayer, he gives us, he helps us lay the foundation for prayer. And we see that in verse, in verse 5. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, Jesus says, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, those who don't follow God, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So what is Jesus really saying here? He's saying that the, the foundation of our, of our life of prayer is the fact that we have a loving Father. And the most important thing about prayer, the cornerstone of our prayer life, is realizing and embracing the truth that we have a loving Father. And what is, what is this Father like? Well, we see that he sees us. He sees us. He's, his, we're under his gaze. Uh, He wants to be with us. He wants us to close the door and be with him. So he wants us to have that intimacy with him. And we also see that he knows us and he cares for us. He cares about our needs. He cares about uh, our circumstances. He wants to spend time with us. So we have a loving father and we can trust him. And the foundation of the Christian life and the foundation of our prayer life 
is trusting in our Heavenly Father, loving Him. And this, this foundation stone protects us from the two pitfalls that Jesus talks about here. One of the pitfalls is living to please others, living to impress others, living under their gaze, and making our spiritual lives about the show we can make. That's one of the pitfalls. And the other pitfall is to think of prayer as something mechanical. So what a difference it makes to, to have an intimate relationship with someone. I know that, um, just imagine, this doesn't, this doesn't happen in my, with my boys, but uh, imagine that every time my son or one of my sons calls me, not Nathan for sure, one of my sons calls me, and every time he calls me, he wants something from me. And the only time he calls me is when he wants something. The phone rings, I say, hello, it's the son in question, this is not, this is hypothetical, okay? The son in question, and he says, how are you, dad? Nice day today, how are you doing, etc. But I know that the question is coming, that he wants something from me, that he needs something from me, because the only time he ever calls me is, because, is when he needs something or wants something. And I'm his father, I care about his needs, and so I guess I can accept that. But imagine if my son calls me just to talk, just to spend time with me, just to find out what, how I'm doing, maybe to pray for me. Isn't that something richer, something deeper, something more wonderful? And when we read this in this passage that he knows us, that he cares about our needs, well, how, why do we close the door then? Why do we pray? Because we want to spend that time with him. I know when I was a young man, a young uh, teenager even, uh, I loved, I'm really dating myself here, the gray beard kind of shows a bit too, I loved Andre Crouch. You ever heard of, anyone heard of Andre Crouch? Come on, you uh, people without hair and that have gray hair. Um, Andre Crouch was like this guy in the 70s who sang uh, these gospel songs. Uh, I heard him in concert once in Calgary, I remember, and he had this one song that I would sing when I was a teenager. It's those quiet times, quiet times. That's when you tell me that you, that's when I tell you that I love you and you remind me that you love me too. Together there is nothing we can't do. And I remember singing that song. And, and I believe that one of the, the reasons that I've, that's helped me deepen my prayer life over the years is just that foundation of wanting to be in my Heavenly Father's presence and telling Him that I love Him, having Him remind me that He loves me too. So that's, that's what it's like. And we know this song, I have a father, he calls me his own. He'll never leave me, no matter where I go. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls. And hears me when he calls. When I call. So we have a loving father. And that's the foundation. In fact, the next slide. Our, our, the Lord's Prayer starts with this very fact. Our father. So Jesus prepares us in, the, in these verses for entering into this prayer. And the foundation, the entry point, the open door to this life of prayer is understanding and believing that we can trust him, that we have a father who loves us. So we see in the the Lord's Prayer, in these first three, uh, this first half of the Lord's Prayer, uh, we see that we need to get our heavenly bearings. We need to get our our focus on God. The first part of the prayer isn't about our needs, isn't about um, what what we might be going through, The model prayer shows us that prayer must begin with God. We begin by getting our focus on God, by by getting calibrated or getting our bearings focused on who God is and what he's he's up to in the world. 
And that's how Jesus teaches us that prayer should start. It's like a, a tuned instrument, for example. Like if the guitar wasn't tuned this morning, um, we would notice that. that the, you know, the greatest music, musician of all, but if the mis- instrument's out of tune, uh, it's not going to sound great. You can have the, the greatest Christian of all, <laughs> but if his life isn't aligned with God, focused on God, then his prayer is going to be out of tune. And so we start by getting our, our lives focused on God. Now, maybe the, maybe the greatest... Um, the most costly mistake of lack of calibration in our modern day is the Hubble Space Telescope. Anyone heard of the Hubble Space Telescope? Um, well, here we have a picture of it. It looks kind of uh, like a tin can, but that tin can costs uh, $1.5 billion. Uh, and it's great, this great uh, telescope. And they, they put all the pieces together. They had all the mirrors in place. It was going to revolutionize uh, the, the, the universe, what we could see and discover with it. They got it up into space. They turned it on, and it was out of focus. They had forgotten to calibrate the telescope. Can you believe that? I mean, I don't know who, how many heads rolled because of that, but uh, they, had to, they had to plan then a mission. First, they had to figure out how are they going to fix it? How are they going to calibrate it in space, which was not easy? How are they going to adjust it so that they can get it back into focus? And then they had to send the space shuttle into space to grab this thing, to take it into the bay, to rework it. Meanwhile, this $1.5 billion telescope ended up costing $10.5 billion. But once it was calibrated, wow, what could we see? Now, here's just one of the pictures um, you mean the things that the, the, the vista, the, the views, the discovery of this telescope is absolutely stunning. But what a cost of not calibrating this telescope. And in some ways, I, I think the parallel is great here. If our prayer lives aren't calibrated, we can have all the good intentions in the world, but our, we'll be out of focus. And so we begin our prayer life by getting our focus on God, by getting our heavenly bearings. And once we have our heavenly bearings, then we can see things in a brand new way. We can see God's perspective on the universe and on our world. So let's get our heavenly bearings then. So there's five things uh, we see here. Our heavenly calibration. Our hearts are confident in our Father. Our eyes are lifted to heaven. Our thoughts are humbled before his great name. Our imagination is inspired by his kingdom. And our wills are aligned to his purposes. So this is the the start of the Lord's Prayer. So let's look at them quickly. Uh, Our hearts confident in our Father. And we've talked about this already. The foundation stone, the open door to the life of prayer is trusting and loving our Heavenly Father. If we know we have a God we can trust, who we want to be with, we can enter freely into his presence. Uh, I've taught at uh, a Bible college in Calgary for a number of years, and actually my son Nathan was, uh, was at the college with me uh, for uh, a couple years, did his first degree there. And every student that came into my office had to knock on the door, except my son Nathan. He could come right into my office without knocking. It's just like the same, uh, my son and my, my family can come right into our home without knocking. Why? Because it's their home. Because they're my son. They have free access into my presence. And so in the same way, we, if he's our father and we're his children, 
we have this free access into his presence. We have this invitation to come into his presence. So our hearts are confident. We come into our Father's presence. I'm going to give a few quotes this morning from a wise mentor, Eugene Peterson. In fact, he's the, he's the author of the message that was quoted this morning. Here he is. And uh, he, he's several, I'll give you several, several quotes this morning because he has this great teaching on the Lord's Prayer. And I just want to share some of his th- thoughts and insights with you. Using the metaphor Father for God is a language strategy to defend against the subtle but insidious depersonalization of prayer that pervades the human condition. God is conceived as an idea or a force, and prayer is reduced to an exercise in control. If I can just get the right mood and get the right words in the right order, I can get God to do what I, what I want or get what I need. So that's the... the the lack of the depersonalization of God. He, he no longer is our Heavenly Father. He becomes the source of what I need. And so the, the first, the first uh, calibration is really deepening and strengthening our confidence in God our Father. The second is lifting our eyes to heaven. Our next slide. Our eyes lifted to heaven. So the, the, the Lord's Prayer lifts our eyes to heaven. Our, our Father who art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. So we see that the, the focus of our prayers is not, prom, first of all, sorry, my French comes to you once in a while, is not, first of all, um, our needs, even though that's where we tend to start. Our, our focus, first of all, is on heaven. We lift our eyes to heaven. And so we lift our eyes to heaven. It's so easy to have our eyes cast down, our, our vision filled with our needs, our struggles, our circumstances. Just listen to the news I listen to the global news uh, through the BBC every day, and I tell you, the, the perspective it gives on the world is very depressing. And it's, it's very easy to let the needs of the world just fill our vision. But we, as Christians, we're called to lift our eyes to heaven, to let the, God's heavenly vision inspire us before we, we bring our eyes back to earth. And the Psalms, for example, are, are, are God's way of, one of God's ways of finding his presence in the midst of all the circumstances of life. So the psalmist, what does the psalmist do? He, he lifts, he, he's constantly lifting his eyes to heaven, lifting his eyes out of his circumstances to our Heavenly Father. And the challenge for us as Christians is, is to lift our eyes out of our circumstances, out of our needs to the heavenlies. And that's how we get our, our calibration. We need our, the heavenly perspective. So the next slide. Our thoughts humbled before his great name. Hallowed be your name. God has a name. That's one of the great uh, beauties of our Christian faith is that we don't serve a nameless God. We don't serve a God who's, who's camouflaged by different names. Sometimes uh, in our pluralistic culture, we hear all the time that every path kind of leads to God. And, and for some people, God is like Buddha. For others, he's like Jesus. For others, he's like uh, Krishna. And we have all these different views of what God is like. But our Christian faith teaches us that God has a great name. And the great name is the name Yahweh, the God, of the, the God of the covenant, the God who's revealed himself to us. And there's two great dangers in our, in our, in our, in our faith. And one is to, is to bring God down to our level, is to, to lower God, to take him off his throne, to make God like one of us. And the other danger is to lift ourselves up into God's place. To hallow God's name means to, to, get, to remember who he is and where he is and to remember who we are. And who we are. So this constant relationship of worship, of, of lifting God up, of realizing who we are under God. 
So that's part of hallowing his great name. And again, our, our wise teacher says this. Uh, prayer is a language to address a God who has revealed himself, and this name is holy, a distinctive quality of otherness that sets God beyond and apart from us. God is not like us. We are not like God. The first sin, and it continues to be the basic sin, is to presume to be like God. And so much of, of our culture today is, is about finding the God within. In fact, that's why, one of the reasons why Buddhism is so popular in our world today because what is the, the, the fundamental tenet of Buddhism is that your spirituality is within yourself. Uh, classical Buddhism doesn't even believe in the transcendent power of God. So you discover within yourself your own spirituality. And that has a great, uh, a great popularity in our world today. And part of it is this basic sin to presume that we can be like God. Again, Eugene Peterson, when we pray for the hallowing, uh, we are praying to purge the words that name God's presence of any taint of sacrilege, to cleanse the images that fill our minds of any hint of idolatry, to scrape the noun clean of rust and grime until Jesus and Christ say the clear truth about God. So God helps us with this. He, He shows us what God is like by giving us Jesus. So God has a name and a face the name and the face of Jesus. The greatest gift God has given to us is, is to show us who God is like, what he's like through giving us Jesus. And one of the greatest things we can do is, as we share our faith with others is to constantly point people to Jesus, how beautiful he is, how full of love he is, how full of compassion he is. He loves us so much that he, he gave his life for us by dying on the cross. And we point people to Jesus because Jesus is the name and the face of God. Your kingdom come, our next calibration. Our, heart, our, our, th- our thoughts are humbled before his great name and our imagination is inspired by his kingdom. So God is not just in the heavens. He wants to bring his kingdom down to earth. He wants to bring his reign, his authority, and his rule down to earth. So God is not like the queen, okay? The queen is on our money, um, but really, she has, she's just, it's just a token thing, right? She really has absolutely no authority over what happens in Canada. Absolutely none. She doesn't make decisions for us. We don't have to ask her permission. Well, I guess we do in kind of a sort of a formal way, but we don't have to ask her permission for things. We're a sovereign country. But she really is, she's the queen, but the British Empire is long gone. The British Empire is long gone. And so she may be a figurehead, but she has no real authority in our world today, even if the commonwealth still exists, but there's no authority there. And in some ways, I think that's what has happened in our culture today. There's this reference to God. God is, is part of our Christian, our Western history, but it's kind of like he's kind of like the, the king of England or the queen of England, right? He's, he's no longer active in our world today. That's what people think. But the reality is, God continues to be active, and his, his kingdom is still at work in this world. It's, he's not just a figurehead. It's not just, he's not just a name. He's active in our world. His, his kingdom is coming in our world, is here. And so we have this, the kingdom of God, another, our wise teacher, the kingdom of God that Jesus announces is present here and now is not a religious piece of the world. No, it comprises everything and everyone. When we pray, your kingdom come, we identify and offer ourselves as participants in this world in which God rules in love and salvation. Implicit in this petition is my kingdom go. 
So when we pray, your kingdom come, we're saying, Lord, we, we, you, you want to rule this world in salvation and in love. And we're your agents. We're the ones who are, are called to further your kingdom, to pray that your kingdom would come, to act that your kingdom would come. May your kingdom come. And then finally, then, we see our final calibration is our wills aligned to his purposes. So we, as we prayed this through, we come to the final piece where we say, Lord, your will be done on earth as in heaven. We want your rule to be lived out in this world, to be experienced in this world. We want it to experience in our community, in our families, in our churches, in the West Island, throughout Montreal, Quebec, and the world. We want your will to be done in this world. And as Christians, we're, 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 we are inspired by God's vision of transforming our world, and we, and we become agents of that transformation. So this, hev- this leaven, salt, light invasion of the world that Jesus talks about is what we're about. So the kingdom action, our wise teacher, and a kingdom life work from a base of God's love for the world and salvation of the world. So God has a kingdom, but it's not like the kingdoms of this world. It's not a, it's not a kingdom of coercion. It's not like the economic kingdom or the, 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 the consumerist kingdom of our world. God's kingdom is not in competition with the kingdoms of this world. It's subverting them. It's transforming them from within. And that's how God is at work. I could say a lot more on that, but we'll keep moving. So here's what it might look like for us then. Um, the first part of, God's, of, this, of the Lord's Prayer, we begin with his person. Who God is in heaven. His name would be hallowed. His kingdom come and his will be done. So we, we see a progression. We see that we, we begin with God and as we pray, we, we find ourselves empowered to move out with, with God's vision, with his purposes at our heart. And even as, as Dave was praying this morning for these organizations in the West Island, for the presence of the church in the West Island, it's, it's all part of us moving out. As we pray for this, we say, God, we want to be part of your purposes in this corner of the world. We want to be furthering your kingdom. We want to be agents of your will in this world. So this is, this is our heavenly calibration. We, we get our focus on who God is, on, on what he's about, on what his purposes are. And then we, we move out in obedience in our world. So this is how our prayer begins. So that's all part of the heavenly calibration. And I really should be ending there because I've already said a lot. But there's another half of the prayer, and we'll just touch on a couple points. Um, so after we've got our heavenly vision, we've got calibrated according to God's name, his purposes, his will, now we come down to earth. We come down to earth, and we, we pray three requests that are very down to earth. The first one is, give us this day our daily bread. And that's our physical needs, our daily needs, our very concrete uh, day-to-day needs of our family, whether it be for health or protection or for food or for selling our home or getting a new job. These are our, our day-to-day foundational needs. And then the second needs, forgive us our trespasses, that's our, our relational needs, our, our need to be forgiven, our need to forgive others, our need for healing in our relationships. I mean, how, how much is that needed in our world today? The need for healing our relationships. We'll touch on that in just a minute. And then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's our, our spiritual needs. Our need for, for protection from, in this world that is filled with temptations and with, with pitfalls that can destroy us and our loved ones. We need, we need protection and we need deliverance. This is our, our prayer for our spiritual needs. So these are the three needs that are identified in this, in this passage. And we're going to... 
jump a few slides here to slide 35. Um, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I'm going to talk about our relational need. Uh, we've got a, we could talk about our physical need, uh, but I want us to really talk about our relational need. Uh, our relational need is to be uh, forgiven by God, to know that he loves us and forgives us. We've all screwed up in our, in our lives, haven't we? We've, we've hurt other people. We've, we've, we've trespassed. We've gone places where we shouldn't go. And in going places where we shouldn't go, we've hurt others. We've hurt ourselves. We're all guilty. We all have been tainted by sin, and we need to be forgiven by God. And the, the, the further story is that we've also been hurt by others. We've been victims as well. Others have hurt us, and, and the, the greatest pain of all is those who, who should have loved us and who should have cared for us can be sometimes those who hurt us and are those who hurt us the most. And so we need to have the capacity to forgive others. We need to be, receive forgiveness, and we need to have the capacity to forgive others. And that's our, our great relational need that we have. And in fact, it's such a great need that, that in verse 14 and 15, um, we read right after the prayer, and in case we didn't get this, Jesus repeats it again. He said, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So we see that our, the vertical relationship with God and the horizontal relationship with others are two sides of the same coin. And he's inviting us into this, this life of forgiveness where we, we receive God's forgiveness and we extend God's forgiveness. And the, the Christian community, the greatest, our raison d'etre, the greatest characteristic of our community is that we know and we learn how to forgive one another and how to love one another. And this is what the world needs to see, what the world needs to experience, is the forgiveness that, that comes through Jesus Christ. In fact, there's the, a great author that I, I recommend. Next slide, Desmond Tutu. Um, uh, maybe you can just go back one, one, one slide there. The book is um, The Power of Forgiving. Can you get that one? That's slide 37. It's not there. It's somehow disappeared. Okay, well, here's this quote. Desmond Tutu wrote this amazing book, um, The Power of Forgiveness, uh, the, the Book of Forgiving. Uh, maybe you know a little bit of the story of Desmond Tutu. Uh, he won the Nobel Peace Prize for, he was the key player in the Truth and Reconciliation talks in South Africa. And he wrote this wonderful book on forgiveness, and he knew about bitterness, he knew about brokenness. He and his daughter wrote this amazing book, The Book of Forgiving, and this is what he says. In our own ways... We are all broken. Out of that brokenness, we hurt others. Forgiveness is the journey we take toward healing the broken parts. It is how we become whole again. And this is the great message of our our Christian faith, that we can become whole again through receiving God's forgiveness through Jesus. Thanks to his death on the cross, there's been a, a great wave of forgiveness that's been released through his death on the cross. And now we can begin that process of receiving his healing and then experiencing his healing in our relationships as well. So this, this great prayer uh, is to forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. The next slide. The only way we deal with sin is by resurrection. Forgiveness is resurrection. Life from the dead. How to know that we're forgiven, to, to know that the, the burden has fallen from our shoulders, to know that someone forgives us, to, to see your relationships reconciled 
is the greatest joy we can experience on earth. It's resurrection joy. And so let's skip then to our final slide. Slide 42. As our prayer comes to a close, I have a lot more I could say today, but uh, let's, let's close our prayer. Uh, and let's stand together as we, as we consider this final closing um, doxology of the Lord's Prayer. Let's say it together. For thine is the kingdom, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so glad for this amazing prayer that you've left us. Thank you that you are at work in our world. Thank you for your kingdom purposes. Thank you for your glorious victory over sin and death on the cross. Thank you for loving us and pouring out your love in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.